hope everyone's enjoying the camp so far. And um, it's wonderful to um, see some visitors here, so welcome to all the visitors. Alright, just um, before we open the word, uh, let's just open with a word of prayer. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this um, wonderful time that we've been able to have, Lord, and that we're able to gather in this way, this wonderful country of ours, Lord, and um, come and meet together like this and open your word without any fear of persecution or without having to worry about anything, Lord. We pray that you would just um, uh, clear our minds, Lord, from all the troubles of um, the past week and uh, clear our minds from the stress of the week ahead, Lord, and that you just... Um, Clear our minds and open our hearts to your word, Lord, that it may find a resting place in each of our hearts here tonight. We pray for your blessing upon this time now. In your holy and precious name, amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, just before we begin, I just want to um, pose a, a little question just to think about. Um, if you ask the average um, person in Australia today, do you think you're going to heaven? What do you think they would say? Yes, I'm a good person. Very good. Most people answer you and say, mm, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I, yeah, I think so. Why is that? Because I think I'm a pretty good person. Um, and they kind of just shrug and like it doesn't seem to bother them. Mm, I think so. So we're talking here about eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. Doesn't end, goes on forever. And some people are just willing to risk it or not, I think so. Like Mike was just saying before, you want the proper assurance um, of peace with God? Let's talk about how to get that. Earlier this year, we visited uh, the top reasons why people reject the Lord as their saviour. We looked at three uh, main excuses, the fear of social rejection, um, the appeal and temptation in the world, and... Self-righteousness, so a person who believes he's, he's already good, so someone who falls in this I think so category um, and don't realise they're sinners and can't come to God on their own terms. Since then, I found a few more excuses and I thought we might be able to look at them today. There's four groups of people that I want to mention. The first person, the opposite to the self-righteous person. The person who knows he's bad, knows he's a sinner, but he's the kind of person that says, God will never accept someone like me. I'm too bad. Person number two, someone who simply doesn't believe slash doesn't care slash doesn't understand. Number three, um, those who belong to a a religious group or religious belief, um, such as like just the most common ones, the Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, flying spaghetti monster, whatever there there are these days. Um, And group number four, the last group, um, are those who grew up in a Christian household uh, but don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. So let's break down each group. For the first one, I'd like to look at um, Luke chapter 8. chapter 8, verse 40 to probably about 48. 
<clears throat> so it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of a synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. Um, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came to him and touched the, the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes uh, thronged and pressed you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she had been healed immediately. And he said to her daughter, Be of good cheer, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house. Um, and it says the multitude thronged him, which literally means they were like surrounding him like a flock, basically. Great numbers. Um, and in the crowd there was a lawbreaker, um, a woman with an issue of blood. So how was she a lawbreaker? Good question. Uh, in Leviticus 15, um, according to the Mosaic law, she's unclean um, and she should be isolated, but yet she's in a crowd. Um, so she's had this flow of blood. It's been this way for 12 years. Um, she spent all her money on doctors who couldn't heal her. Um, and then she comes behind Jesus and reaches out to touch the hem of his garment. And in that moment, she's healed. If we read the, the, the same account, because it's mentioned in a few Gospels, if we read the same account in uh, Matthew chapter 9, um, it says um, in verse 22, And Jesus turned around. Um, so it's like it's profound that he's actually turning around and he stopped. And he wants to find this woman. Um, do you know why she doesn't instantly reveal herself? Because she's thinking to herself, what's everyone going to think? I'm unclean. Am I going to get taken according to the law? But Jesus is not trying to find her for that. He's looking for her to acknowledge the result of her faith. Um, she had faith and she was healed. But what if she didn't have faith? What if she didn't try to do what she did? What if she just thought to herself, I'm unclean, and didn't try anything? She would have probably lived like that for the rest of her life. How many people are unwilling to come to him because they fear they won't be accepted? <coughs> so, there's a lot of people out there that have convinced themselves that they're, they're too bad and too unclean or too terrible to be forgiven. Um, when in fact the opposite is true. Jesus wants us to come to him as we are. He doesn't say, go make yourself right first, fix yourself up, then come and talk to me. Um, let's turn quickly to 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 12. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking, who was... Formerly saw, and I thank Christ, um, Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. 
And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Um, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. So the Apostle Paul previously saw he is saying that he was the chief among sinners. This, this is a guy that um, on, his, on his resume under hobbies was killing, uh, uh, murdering Christians. Um, if there was anyone who's too far gone, it's this bloke here. And yet, look at his transformation. Um, so tonight, if you're thinking the same thing, I've got news for you. You're no shock to God. He knows all about you. He knows every sin you've ever committed. Romans chapter 5, you don't have to turn to it, I'll quickly read it. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The next group I want to look at is those who don't believe, don't understand, or um, just don't care. Generally someone who's heard a little bit um, about um, the Lord Jesus and they've made up their minds that they don't want to believe. It's usually these people who say things like, if there's a God, or if, there's a, if God is so good, why do bad things happen? Or um, why, why did he allow September 11 to happen? If there's a God, dot, 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 you fill in the blank. Or another common one, I don't want to follow a God who sends people to hell. What they don't realise is they're missing a piece of the puzzle. They don't realise that we're already separated from God. And he's actually doing everything he can to save us from hell. What sends people to hell is their pride, their ignorance, their own wisdom. There's so many sceptics about today because um, Satan has very cleverly tricked everyone um, and turned everyone astray. Especially when you know you look at things like evolution and natural selection, taught as if they're true facts in schools. Um, you throw in a couple of big words, DNA, genetics, mix it all in, make it sound believable. Um, but in my opinion, when you think about the Big Bang Theory, it actually takes more faith to believe in that than it does to believe in a creator. Um, how can people with all their intellectual knowledge that they have these days seriously believe that all this happened by an accident from nothing? People say, prove to me that God exists. Well, how about you prove to me that there was a Big Bang? <coughs> because there isn't a shred of evidence to support it, and yet everyone just accepts it without questioning it. But when it comes to... Um, questioning God, everyone wants to know where's God, where's the creator so you want proof of a creator you don't need me to tell you that you don't, you don't even need a bible to tell you that use these things, look at that there's your evidence right there there's evidence all around us the truth is so blindly rejected by so many people and it's considered narrow minded tolerance has become a new the, the new moral high threshold that everyone goes by these days. You guys need to be more broad-minded and accepting and all that. Well, um, nerd, nerd out with me for a second. Um, who, who's good at maths? Anyone good at maths? Yeah? I need someone to put their hand up, obviously. Yeah? Uh, Jonathan. All right? No, Jonathan behind you put his hand up. All right? <laughs> so, I won't give you a hard question. What's the square root of 732,000 divided by 20? No, I'm just kidding. Um, what's 2 plus 2? 4. Is it always 4? Mostly, yes. Mostly? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, when I was in school, it was always 4. I don't know if it's a more broad-minded approach to school, but... 
Um, but if we... Um, so, Jonathan, can we be broad-minded and accept three or five as a possible answer for two plus two? Sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is going the wrong direction. <laughs> okay, so... If we did what Jonathan is saying and we accepted three or five as a possible answer, then all our mathematical calculations will be incorrect. We won't have, like, everything will just be wrong because according to the laws of mathematics, two plus two is always four. Um, in chemistry, what's H2O? Water. Can we be broad minded and say H2SO4 is also water because it's a clear liquid? If you want to accept that, then you go drink it, because I shotgun not drinking sulfuric acid. <laughs> All truth is narrow-minded. You can't be broad-minded about the truth. There's a famous guy, um, I'm not sure if anyone's heard of him, his name's Lee Strobel. Um, if you haven't heard of him, maybe look him up when you get a free second. He actually um, was a, um, a really, really um, hardcore atheist. Um, so he was the chief editor of the Chicago Tribune. Um, and he was so cemented in his atheism that when his wife became a believer, the first word that popped into his head was divorce. But he decided to stick around and take a different approach. He thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to disprove Christianity to her. I'm going to show her that she's been tricked and that I'm going to bring her back to being her old self. He thought it would be easy. I I've heard his, his whole story. It's actually quite interesting. He said, you know what, I think I can knock this out in a weekend. Two, two years later, with all the research in front of him, two years of intensive research, um, but yeah, he's quickly realised that um, everything hinged on one event, which was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So he set out looking for every possible explanation that said that it didn't happen. Um, from things like the disciples stole the body, um, to maybe they were seeing hallucinations... Um, so many different theories that he investigated. But the problem is, every single one that he looked into and investigated, he found flaws in it. None of them were credible. None of them made sense. Um, he said something actually that, that really stuck with me, that with all historical events, we're lucky if we have one or two accounts recorded to confirm that it actually happened. But he said when it came to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, he found no less than seven accounts recorded... Um, not including the eyewitnesses recorded in the Bible. Um, so the only explanation from historical facts is that all the evidence in front of him um, was that the tomb was empty and he actually rose from the dead. He then realised at this point that it would take more faith for him to maintain his atheism than to turn to Christ. And there's a number of accounts like this that you find um, online of people saying that, you know, they were you know, very strong atheists and have come to the Lord and um, just by doing their own research. So the evidence is all around us and, um, yeah, we don't need to, we don't need specific um, things to tell us of, of evidence. The next category, those who grew up under a religious belief system. Um, so these guys... Um, and I use the word um, religion um, very loosely here, so um, please understand that when I'm saying religion, I use it very loosely. Um, these guys are pretty easy to have a conversation with because they'll start, they'll strike up a conversation, they'll talk about um, about these things because there's not a religion in this world that doesn't agree that there's something wrong with us, um, with the human race. 
Um, I'm not really familiar with most religions. I mean, we did study religions in school and all that, but um, I guess one of the most prevalent examples in our day and age today, if you, if you take out you know, the four wives thing and the blowing yourself up thing, um, Islam is, is one of the world religions. Um, they have one God. He, um, his name is Allah. He's so great, but you can't know about him. You just have to serve him and make him happy and um, do more good than bad to, to please him. Um, and like many other religions, they believe that that's the way to be saved, is to do good deeds and bad deeds. Um, all religions in the world tell you that there's something that you need to do and that if you do it well enough, you might just get to heaven eventually. I'm going to be honest with you right now. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. Um, there's no justice scale, you know, the good and the bad and, you know, how, how do you weigh and, um, we're all born sinners. Romans 3 verse 10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. As long as you think you can save yourself, then any religion will do. They're all the same. But once you find out the truth that you need a saviour, the list is very short. There's only one who can save you, and it's the Lord Jesus. The last group, and probably the hardest to reach, are those that grew up in a Christian household. Um, grew up attending the meetings, Maybe a few camps, a few conferences, um, know the Christian lingo, um, not its meaning, or not all of its meaning, but you know, just enough to get by in a Christian gathering, you know, a few things here and there, and, uh, but without having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Um, and these people definitely don't understand the meaning of grace. So, um, what, what is grace? Anyone who was listening to what Greg was saying before would um, have a pretty fair shot at it. But does anyone want to tell me what um, grace is? Not Greg, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll buy. Sorry? Grace. Ah, uh, grace, yep. Um, it's giving you time to come to a true repentance mm-hmm. before judgment. Yep, okay. So it's, um, it's God, God giving us um, what we don't deserve. So he's um, allowing us time to come to repentance. Um, so in, in what Greg was saying before, it's God giving us what we don't deserve. Um, and there's a children's song um, that comes to mind that, you know, um, you know, I can't remember how it goes, but anyway. Um, <laughs> let's forget about that. But um, uh, just... Um, for just for Susan here, because she always gives me slack about you know googling everything, um, but I actually did Google the meaning of grace. Um, I wanted to see what came up, um, and I was very surprised to see how well um, Satan has hidden the meaning of grace online. Uh, so a few things came up when I first uh, searched the defin- I said define grace or definition of grace. Um, the results came up as elegance of movement. Um, courteous goodwill uh, bringing honour by one's attendance or participation I will grace you at your um, wedding Um, but underneath all that it came up with a suggested search because Google's smart like that and the suggested search was spiritual meaning of grace I'm like ah I found it click and this is what it said divine grace is a theological term present in many religions It has been defined as a divine influence which operates in humans to um, regenerate and sanctify, to inspire virtuous impulses, to impart strength, to endure trial and resist temptation as an individual virtue of excellence of divine origin. What? (laughs) Like, if someone wasn't confused about the meaning of grace, they definitely are now. Um, So, you look at that, and no wonder people are so confused. 
Um, they're just confused about the meaning of grace because they've heard of it before, but they don't know what it means. Um, so for this group of people, you just imagine grace is kind of like that random gift that your friend gives you, and you unwrap it, you open it up, and you're like, oh, what, what is it? You know, but you, you don't know what it is, but whenever they come over, you always bring it out. So some people are the same way with, with um, God's divine gift of grace. You know, they, they um, always, you know, say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know what it is. And, you know, and whenever a, a preacher or a friend or any Christian gathering, they're talking about it, they're like, oh, grace, yeah, yeah, I know grace, yeah, you know, grace, you know, you know, you know, but they don't know. Um, so it gets misinterpreted so often in Christian circles um, because... To, to the point where people get desensitized to it. Um, it's, been, it's become more of a principle or a concept. Um, some people even use it as a get-out-of-jail-free card, like do whatever I want during the week and, you know, when it comes around to Sunday because of the grace of God, it's all good. Um, but that's, that's not the true meaning of it. Um, the prodigal son, on the other hand, understood the meaning of grace. Um, he said, I am no longer worthy. He understood that he doesn't deserve. Um, his older brother, on the other hand, he's a classic case of this group of people. He doesn't get it. He's angry. He wants what he believes is owed to him. I did this, so I deserve. I deserve and I deserve. So um, I'm willing to hazard a guess that uh, most of us know the story of the prodigal son. Am I correct? Yeah. Most of us know the story. So I probably won't read it in the interest of time. I don't know what time is. Um, yeah, I probably won't read it in the interest of time. Um, but it's found in Luke 15, if anyone wants to read it later. Um, it's a story about two sons. And the younger one comes to his father and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. He moved to some wild cities. He lived a Vegas lifestyle and lost all his money. Um, Jesus doesn't tell us how long the duration was, when um, how long he was living wildly, but... After a period of time, he depletes all the money, and eventually he gets a job on this farm feeding pigs. And it gets worse. Times are so tough that eventually he finds himself looking at the pig slop, thinking, hey, it's not all that bad. I could probably um, grab me a bite of that. And then he comes to his senses, thinks to himself, I'm an idiot. My dad's servants live so much better than this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to my dad's house, and instantly he concludes he's no longer worthy um, to be a son. But you know what? I'm going to go there. I'm going to try to get employment. Um, you know, I'm going to um, uh, I'm going to try to get employment and try to work for him. You know the story. So he prepares his little speech and off he goes to his dad's house. And in verse 20, so I did say I wasn't going to read it, but I think maybe I'll have to. In verse 20. Of Luke chapter 15, verse 20. And, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Um, so he sees him from a distance, which would suggest that he's been waiting for him for some time. Um, the reaction that follows is obviously not what he was expecting. Um, he may have been expecting his father to be sitting in his room and um, when he gets there, he goes and knock, knocks on the door and he knows he's going to get it as soon as he opens the door. Um, you better have a good excuse for being here, pal. And then he's going to say his speech that he's prepared. Um, but it didn't go down like that at all. 
Instead, the father was like, getting some new clothes, getting some shoes, getting some jewellery, and kill the fatted calf. Jesus is trying to give us a window into how God loves humanity. In verse 25, we'll have a scene change, and the camera zooms in on the older son. Just want to quickly have, maybe have a read of this. Verse 25. Now the older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. Well, sorry, when he uh, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandments um, at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. So that's it, it's grace, but older son doesn't understand this. Um, and as he came near, came near and drew, he heard music and dancing. Let's have a look at his reaction when you initially read it. Sorry, but, um when we initially read about his reaction, it seems like he's the only logical person in this scenario. He's, it's like he's the only one thinking straight. Like, are you serious right now? You're going to have a party for him like he's a returned soldier faithfully serving his country. Um, did I miss something? It seems like he's thinking straight, right? This is the punk that wasted all your money. What are you doing? You know? And then... The older son, the father pleads with the older son to come in, but he doesn't. The older son probably had imagined a different response when he comes home from his brother's, uh, when his brother comes home. Probably imagined a different response. Probably imagined the father would be angry with him, would reject him. He didn't understand grace. Um, that the father is giving him what he didn't deserve. If it wasn't for grace and God's love for us, we'd all still be in that pigsty. But whatever the reason is, that you may still have not accepted the Lord Jesus, the door is open now and there's still a chance. Maybe you've made some terrible decisions in your life, committed sins you think that are unforgivable, um, but the reason you're here today is that you still have the opportunity to turn to the Lord Jesus. Don't be fooled into thinking that you have all the time in the world. Don't feel that God won't punish sin just because you feel like you got away with it for this long. Just want to quickly turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3 and verses 9 and 10. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away in a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. 
Um, I did bring this right for a reason. Alright. So, let's put the end of it here. So it's hidden. Um, now, I didn't, I didn't make this up myself. I actually got this off, uh, off, I heard it off someone, and I thought it's too good, I have to use it. But, um, yeah, I'm not clever enough to come up with these on my own. But, um, so this rope represents eternity. All of eternity, that's why I hid it behind here so you don't see the end of it, because it actually goes on forever. But, um, so eternity goes on forever, and this little red bit here is our 80, 90 odd years that we live on Earth. We spend most of our time worrying about this little bit here and what we're going to do and what we're going to wear and how we're going to act and all that for this. Not, not realising that this little piece here impacts all the rest of this. But most people don't get concerned about this part. They only care about this part. I just thought that was a really good analogy for, um, for eternity. Um, stop and think for a moment. What could possibly be worth risking an eternity separated from God? If you walked out of here tonight and something happens to you, are you ready to meet God? Yes. It's good. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7 that the road to hell is broad and many are on it. The path to heaven is narrow and few find it. That means that every day as you drive to work, every time you're on the freeway, every time you're in a shopping centre, most of the people you see around you are headed to hell. Why? Is it because they're bad people? No. Well, maybe some of them might be, but, you know, some of them might be even better than you, better than me. Um, but because they haven't been forgiven of their sin and accepted Jesus into their life, God still sees them as condemned. It's not about going to church or acting like a Christian or ticking Christian on your Facebook page. Um, it's about a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Um, I'll just quickly turn to Romans 10. Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 9. But if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And skip down to verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Um, you must believe in your heart. So I need to clarify, it's not simply an intellectual understanding with your brain. Because technically even Satan can also confirm the truthfulness and accuracy of the gospel message. Um, now, we usually hear the word repentance as well. Um, to repent, we must first understand and know that we are sinners separated from God. There are two verses in Romans. Um, don't have to turn to it. Romans 3.23 and 6.23. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, um, for, wages. Yeah, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So repentance is not an emotion. Um, I've seen it so many times where um, preachers try to stir up emotions in, um, in people and um, put them in an emotional state and then call them to faith, uh, to faith in Christ by repeating their prayer while they're in an emotional state. I went when I was in, uh, would have been year 7 or year, no, maybe year 8, 
um, I went to a, a production play that churches were doing called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. And um, basically it was a play and um, it was, uh, so it just showed snapshots of um, like uh, people dying and going to heaven and the flashing lights and um, Jesus saying, uh, depart from me, I never knew you. And then Satan dragging them into hell and it really riled everyone up. And then they did an altar call after it and everyone went up and was crying and scared. And um, you see it so many times. I'm not saying always. Um, but often it leads to a letdown because the emotion will eventually run out. If that's all it was, if it was just an emotion, um, eventually it will run out. We can't treat salvation like a flu shot. Repentance, in, um, as defined in the Bible, is not an emotion. It's a decision. And the decision is yours this evening. Jesus didn't die on the cross and go through all this to make the road to salvation hard and complicated. He's thrown the door wide open and all you need to do is step through. I'm acceptable today to God, not because I've been good or because I've read the Bible or because I help people sometimes or I do good things. I'm acceptable because God looks at me through the blood of Jesus, which cleanses me from all unrighteousness. And the same privilege is available to all here tonight at this moment. Don't pass up this opportunity because there might not be another. Let's just close in prayer. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this time that we've had, Lord, and we thank you for your word, Lord, and we pray that you just um, would speak to every heart in here this evening, Lord, and um, if anyone has not experienced grace, salvation, or accepted you as, um, into their life as their personal Saviour, Lord, we pray that you would, um, you would speak to them tonight and that you would um, um, bring them... Uh, bring them to you, Lord. We um, pray, Lord, for your blessing on the remainder of the evening and um, the food that we're about to have, Lord. Pray um, that you uh, bless it to our bodies, Lord, and that you um, also provide for all those in need. In your holy and precious name, amen. amen. amen.